What's good? I am Josh So Focus. I'm French, the bro host, and we would like to welcome you to the Knicks Take Podcast. This is episode 60. And this is a weekly podcast where we cover the most intriguing Knicks news of the week. Make sure to follow us on our socials. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter slash X by searching for the Knicks Take. Also, be sure to check us out on our website, KnicksTake.com. If you love what you hear... Enjoy what you're watching. Make sure to just please subscribe to us on the platform that you're listening to us on. Um, click the thumbs up button and the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube. And most importantly, just make sure to share this with any Knicks fans that are in your friends group, uh, anyone in your family who's a Knicks fan. If they don't watch at any all the Knicks games and they want to just stay up to date, just make sure they come to us for that because we're going to make sure that you're all set for this next few seasons. So... I hope that was well said. That was well said, sir. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On this episode of the Knicks Take Podcast, episode 60, we are going to go over the games that the Knicks played at the time of this recording. The Knicks played against the Boston Celtics for the season opener. And also last night, we played the Atlanta Hawks. We're also going to cover uh, the upcoming games. Uh, Knicks will be playing Pelicans tonight. They also will be playing the Cavs and the Milwaukee Bucks. At the time of this recording. At the time of this recording. Just real quick, I want to just, for those of us who are not watching every Nick game and uh, also are not so familiar with the team, we finally have the final roster for the 2023-2024 season. Our 12-man rotation, our guards will be Miles McBride, Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly, Dante DiVincenzo, and Quentin Grimes. The wings, Josh Hart, R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, Julius Randle, unless you want to consider Julius Randle a big, which also contains Jericho Sims, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Mitchell Robinson. That is our main rotation. For the guys at the end of the bench, we have Ryan Archidiakono, Daquan Jeffries, and Dylan Windler. And we have three two-way players, which means that they can go back and forth between our regular roster and the G League, mm-hmm. Charlie Brown Jr., Jacob Toppin, Dwayne Washington Jr., for those of you who want to be more familiar with your team. Now, preseason's all said and done with. Correct. Got the first game of the season Yep. at MSG. Yep. So tell us what happened on game one against the Celtics. So game one, uh, opening game of the regular season, home opener of the regular season. Mm-hmm. I watched this Boston Celtic game at a bar. That is not to be disclosed because that will be promotion for another podcast. But it was a live, it was a live event. Boston came in, starting lineup, Holiday, White, Brown, Tatum, Porzingis. We came in with our regular, regular, regular starting lineup. Same one from the preseason. Same one from the preseason, same one from last year. And this was a pretty good game, I want to say, but it started off rough early for the Knicks. Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle both didn't really shoot that well to start the game off. Actually, they couldn't hit anything. Um, both of them were like zero for six or zero for seven to start the game. But one player who could hit something, hit, hit anything really, R.J. Barrett, mm-hmm. who scored six of the Knicks' first eight points in the game. He had a beautiful, beautiful fast break dunk that I believe Jalen Brunson passed to him. And he took it to the other side of the court, did a little tomahawk with the lefty. That, that worried me because he came down, messed his knee up a little bit, was holding his leg, was stumbling <laughs> up the court. I'm like, damn, I hope he ain't just get injured on the first game. Nah, sometimes, first play of the he, season. sometimes he tweaks his, his stuff a little bit. If he asks to come out, that's when you have to be worried because that means it hurts more than you thought. Right. But I, I watched him, and then after, like, the Knicks, I think they got the ball back, or they got the defensive stop and then he came back to the other side or something like that right immediately after that it, it didn't look so bad it looked like he was going to be able to play he had a couple of pull-up mid, mid-range jumpers and he finished the game with a plus minus high for the team at plus six mm-hmm. got to the line seven times made six which as we are, as i'm about to discuss was a very important thing but also for the knicks <laughs> 
The rest of the Knicks really didn't shoot that well outside of Emmanuel quickly. Free throws was a very, very big problem for the New York Knicks in this game. And it made a game that was close for a lot of the second half. It could have actually been a lot better for the Knicks if they had made their free throws. Randall, Mitch, Brunson, Grimes, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Josh Hart combined for three for 13 from the foul line. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not a good stat. <laughs> that's not a good stat. Three for 13 from the foul line, that's a gimme. Nobody's defending you. you standing at a line. you focusing. It's free. It's a free throw for a reason. Um, at the end of the game, the Knicks missed three of their four free throws in the final four minutes and 10 seconds. And this is a game that the Knicks ended up losing by four points. But before I get to that, I spoke on Emmanuel quickly just, just a second ago. He had an amazing game. Uh, it wasn't as good as the last time when he was skipping up and down the garden in Boston. Yeah. But it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good game for Emmanuel quickly. He... Shot five of seven from the three-point line, five of six from the free-throw line. So the only two players to really score from the free-throw line, R.J. Barrett and Manuel Quickly. Um, Quentin Grimes. I don't remember what Quentin Grimes shot from the free-throw line, but he also had a very oh, bad free-throw line, my Free-throw, yes. Not three-point, free-throw line. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly had a step-back three in the fourth quarter that led me to believe we would win this game. And after that, he never shot the ball again. Yeah, <laughs> so stop looking for him. I mean, I just uh, we we'll talk about more of the more in regards to how this team has been playing over the first two games. But sometimes that's just kind of how the momentum of the ball goes on the team. But I do think that they should have tried to do a little bit better to find Emmanuel quickly, as he and RJ were the only two players who really were shooting the ball well to end the game. Yeah, I. On the other side, we was watching Tatum set up his teammates and Chris Dapps Porzingis, his return to the garden. He he was getting open look after open look because of all the, the gravity that J Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was getting. And I felt like if we had that same kind of energy from like Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, we would have definitely won this game because Oh, without question. They 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 didn't have it. They weren't scoring the greatest, but they still get all the gravity from the other team's defense. Like, anytime they're driving to the hole, they're going to have the attention of at least three players, and then somebody's going to be wide open. I remember there was a few plays where Quentin Grimes was wide open, mm -hmm. didn't see the ball quickly, like you said, had an amazing start to the game. He was one of our best shooters on the, on the team for the first three quarters, and then he barely touched the ball throughout the fourth quarter. So, Yeah, I, I do... We're making it seem like the Knicks didn't move the ball in this game, but they really did. They, this was this would probably be among the top half of games and assists last season um, for the New York Knicks. They really did pass the ball. It's just a lot of times they were missing shots that a lot of their guys normally would make. They should have had more assists in this game, but they didn't. Um, but also, you can have a lot of assists and you can also miss guys who should be getting taking shots because you're trying to take your shot. And that happened a few times with Julius Randle in particular. I want to go over kind of the, uh, the momentum swing, I think, at the end of this game, which was when Emmanuel quickly appeared to... When you contest a layup and you're in the restricted area, you're they say that you have to... There's a rule of verticality and you are supposed to go straight up so that you don't get a foul called on you. It'll be either a no call or a charge call on the offensive player. So Emmanuel quickly rotates to the restricted area. He appears to go straight up. He might be moving a little bit in the air, but uh, as anyone knows, sometimes it's a little hard to just really go straight up, but what, what the rule of verticality, you can move a little bit to the side, which is what Emmanuel quickly did. He moved a little bit to the side so he could get to the spot in the air that the offensive player was trying to get to. Not even to the side. It looked like he was moving away from the defender. It also looked that way as well. And it's like they still called a foul. And the pivotal point of the game. It that, just didn't make sense. That was not. They called a foul on a Derek White attempt to drive to the basket, and they called a foul on Emmanuel quickly. And... <sighs> 
that call was challenged and they did not overturn the call. And I really would love to kind of understand. I completely don't understand why they did not overturn that call and why they called a foul on quickly to begin with. This is almost a textbook defensive play that Emmanuel quickly did in terms of the rule of verticality and how you're supposed to defend such drives. And after that, after that call was not overturned, yes, the Knicks did score immediately after, but they only scored two field goals at the end of the game after that. And I would have to say that that was the momentum swing and that kind of swung the, the, you know, the flow of the game in the direction of the Boston Celtics. Um, once again, the Knicks only scored two field goals after that play. Porzingis hit some shots. And the Celtics beat the Knicks 108 to 104. Yeah, and also the Jalen Brunson flop that they called that should have been called a flagrant foul that they acknowledged after the game. That was another point where I felt like the momentum swung to the Boston Celtics because if you shoot in a three-pointer and the guy from the other team, I think it was Tatum, lands on your feet, normally that's a flagrant foul and you get two shots in the ball back, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. No, you are 100%. Correct, but if they don't call it and then call a flop after that player who fouled you goes to the other side and scores, right? Um, <laughs> these referees just weren't playing fair, it's yeah, just yeah. all I'm gonna say. They were still in preseason mode, I, clearly. Uh, once again, I loved absolutely loved, loved, loved the play of RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, who both finished with 24 points. If this is a consistent development, the Knicks are going to win fifty. Clearly, like I have no, I have no qualms about saying that. I don't think that we have anything to worry about with Jalen Brunson. I don't think that we have much to worry about with Julius Randle. And as you stated earlier, they play, if both of these guys play, even with the poor free throw shooting, Knicks shot about fifty percent in this game. They still had a chance to win against a team that was a top that is considered to be a top two team in the league, let alone in, in the Eastern Conference. Um, Knicks outshot Boston from three, 43.9 percent to 30.8 percent and outpassed them 24 assists to 18 assists. They won the offensive rebound battle 17 to seven. Usually these things are recipes for a New York Knicks victory. Mm-hmm. So. It just goes goes to show you this is a this is a game that slipped away from the Knicks. They should have won that game and should have started the season one and zero, as me and you both predicted. French, fifty three point eight percent from the free throw line and eleven for forty three shooting from the Knicks' big two. That's why yeah. we lost this game. Yep, and you know some questionable calls, but and I don't. Not gonna I don't like to rely on that. That's not going to be something that we're going to get accustomed to because Jalen Brunson is normally a really efficient player. He's he missed a bunch of shots that he normally makes, and Julius Randle had a bunch of shots near the rim that he missed. So I think it just came from just rust, surgery over the offseason, and not playing many games in the preseason. So as the season go- goes along and guys get into their rhythm, you're not going to see uh, shooting nights like that um, from our two top scorers. And, yeah, Boston's an elite team. They 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 proved it. They they looked really good. They they're supposed to be one of the top two teams in the East, and we were neck and neck with them the entire night. So, I think the more this as the season goes along, Boston's going to be more in rhythm. The Knicks are going to be more in rhythm. That they're going to just battle it out all year, and it's going to be a fun fun season. I think that this proved more than anything else that the Knicks have a gear that they can get to that should make them considered a top team, at least in the Eastern Conference. Maybe not in the league. Maybe you don't consider them a top five team in the league because this team, this league is so stacked with top teams. But the fact that they were able to play this well against the Boston team, who admittedly didn't shoot the three-point shot very well, but the Knicks had so much better to get from how they played in that Boston game. And the Celtics just needed to shoot better and maybe Jalen Brown takes a couple extra shots. But I don't I don't see that the Boston Celtics really playing too much better than how they did against the Knicks. Yeah. So 
let's move on from that and let's get to the second game of the regular season. So coming off a tough loss at the Garden, the Knicks set the tone early against the Hawks in Atlanta. R.J. Barrett and Randall seem to like really take a step back and set up teammates a lot more this game. Mm-hmm. Um, R.J., normally we see him in tunnel vision. He goes to the paint and just goes straight up against whoever's down there. This game, he was looking for his teammates a lot more and still being aggressive. So I feel like that's stuff that we haven't seen from R.J. Barrett. I feel like I want I want to challenge that just a little bit. You want to challenge that? I want to challenge that because okay. you're correct that we did see that in the past. But when's the last time we saw that from R.J. Barrett? Wasn't that in the regular season of last season? Because we didn't see that in this game against Boston. We didn't really see that when he played in the Fiber Tournament. And we didn't see that in the playoffs. So I, while I agree with you that that is something that we've seen from R.J. Barrett, it's been a while since we've seen that. Yeah. He was looking a lot more like a point forward in this game than he's ever looked before. And mm-hmm. every time that there was a right play to be made, he made it. It seemed like he's ready to take or he's taking that step towards being the player that he's going to be in the NBA. Mm-hmm. The game seemed to slow down for him a lot. This has been my, like, favorite R.J. Barrett game that I've seen so far in his career. This is the best start to the NBA season that he's ever gotten off to. And Julius Randle didn't get off to a great start offensively, but he still played the game, like, how he should be approaching the game. Like, he approached the game rebounding. He was playing defense, setting up his teammates just like R.J. Barrett was. So, like... Everything that you ask of Julius Randle in the past, it seemed like he's taken that to heart and he's really been playing a lot more consistently. He's flowing with with the team a lot more. He's not forcing the offense if he did, if he doesn't have his shot going. And I, I really am encouraged to see that by him. Um, he's letting the game come to him. And Brunson... <laughs> We you, you don't even really think about Brunson and you look at the stat sheet, he you look down and see he had 30 points. He set mm-hmm. a career high from three, hit eight three pointers, and that was all in three quarters. <laughs> he ain't hit a he ain't hit a third uh, a three pointer in the whole fourth quarter. And the Hawks, even though they were keeping the score pretty close throughout the season, I mean throughout the game, it never really felt like they had a chance to win. No. And it kind of was like the Boston game, but reversed. Boston had the lead throughout the entire game. We came and got the lead in the fourth quarter, and they came back, took over, and then they won the game. And this is exactly what happened against Atlanta. Um, Dante DiVincenzo came off the bench, led the, the bench unit in scoring. He had 16 points. This was his best game as a Knicks so far. He nailed three three-pointers. He's playing tough defense on Trey Young. Quickly was playing tough defense on Trey Young, even though he didn't shoot the ball well. It was just a good all-around game from all of our young players. Um, Julius Randle finished the game with nearly a triple-double. He went into the fourth quarter with only nine points. He finished the game with 17, 12 rebounds, and nine assists. RJ finished with 26 points, six assists. But I don't feel like stats really tell how great of a game each of those guys had. And... RJ just knocked down all the crucial baskets that we needed in that, in those moments. I felt like Randall hit down all the tough threes in the in that fourth quarter that we needed in those moments. Jalen Brunson knocked down like every three that you wasn't even expecting to go in. He was swishing, no, nothing but nut. I was expecting him to <laughs> when I when they as soon as they came off his head, I was like, that's going in. That's going in. But it was like, the same shots he was taking against Boston. Correct. And but those he, weren't falling. Oh, oh. The the clear difference for me is that the start of that game and the start of this game for Jalen Brunson, completely different. Yeah. Uh, when this game started, Jalen Brunson was not looking, you know, off the way he looked. Like, he started off that Boston Celtics game missing bunnies, missing yeah. missing floaters, missing all of the shots that he normally hit. He was getting to his spots and missing. Yeah. He did not do that in this game. He looked like he came out trying to prove that was just him shaking the rust off in that first game. And, yeah, uh, he looks like he's back to normal, which I was not worried about. Um, For sure. Yeah. 
And I remember last episode we were talking about the Hawks and how Trey Young is probably going to have one of those games against us. And I was saying how Quentin Grimes, ever since he's been inserted into the starting lineup, how Trey Young hasn't really gotten off against us. Right. So it would come down to DeJounte Murray, and it seemed like that's exactly what was happening. Right. Every time the Hawks were coming back, DeJounte Murray was driving the paint, getting an and one, mm-hmm. hitting a mid-range jump shot, and Trey Young entered the fourth quarter like one for 15 or something like that. Only Most of his points came from the free throw line. Yep. And he was just in hell. He couldn't really get it going. And the Knicks had a good lead up until... <laughs> that last little minute of the game where they it seemed like they wanted Atlanta to win. They kept turning the ball over. Um, there was a pass that went to Grimes. He lost the pass. Trey Young gets the ball, and then he fouls him for some reason. Yep. Sending them to the free throw line. Yep. And then Jalen Brunson does a bounce pass to R.J. Barrett that goes out of bounds. They, the Hawks end up with the ball down one point, and... What was it like? Fifteen seconds left in the game. Trey Young does a drive to the paint, and for the first time of the night, I'm like, "Wait, are we about to lose this game?" Because I'm getting flashbacks to the playoffs where Trey Young goes and hits that floater in the garden, does the little shimmy ice tray, and he does it on Frank Nilakina. Mm-hmm. Did I even tell you that game when I went to that game in the playoffs? I had a Frank Nilakina jersey on, and that was the one play that he got in. I, I left that game, and some dude was like, "You got to burn that jersey." <laughs> you did tell me this story. So I'm having all these flashbacks <laughs> watching Trey Young drive to the paint. Yeah, goes up with the same floater that he did in that playoff series in Game One at the Garden. Mm-hmm. But instead of it being a floater, and it being Nerlens Noel blocking him, we got Mitchell Robinson. Yep, getting the stop. Because Clint Capella didn't expect it to be a lob. He goes up, tries to do a putback, ends up losing the ball. Yep. Randall gets the ball, and they foul him. I just want to say, for any fan who wants to go back and look at some of the Knicks wins, you can skip this one. <laughs> like, it was a good game, but that that final sequence by the Knicks, oh, Lord, that that is unnecessary stress. You don't need to put yourself through that. Anybody yeah. with high blood pressure, hypertension, anything like that, just, just pretend this game doesn't exist. Just to say Knicks won this game and just move on. Um, Mitchell Robinson, I've continuously said that I think the Knicks played, would, would have played Atlanta Hawks better in that playoff series if Mitchell Robinson was healthy and available to play. And, and in this game, he definitely showed a healthy Mitchell Robinson He's not going to completely stop uh, Clint Compella from, you know, enforcing his will into the game, but he definitely prevented Clint Compella from getting at least two easy lob dunks. That dunk, that that lob that Trey Young sent to Clint Compella at the end of the game, he had to throw it up so high, and Clint Compella had to time his jump just to get his hand on the ball, you know, and. Mid- all of this is just disruption that Mitch brings. Nerland's Noel, while a good shot blocker and good defensive player back then for the Knicks, he could not do what Mitchell Robinson does. He's not as he's not as big of a body. He's not as athletic, and he's not as lengthy. Pause as Mitchell Robinson, <laughs> and, and 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 this is why we need Mitch to be healthy. We need him to be that starting center that we know he's capable of being. And he just makes all of the difference. He's definitely one of our most important players in this game against the Hawks. Um, oh, Isaiah Hartenstein. Wait, wait, wait. Before you move on to Hart. Yeah. I felt like Mitch was also one of those key, I mean, the key players from this game because... I gave a lot of credit to Quentin Grimes quickly and all these guys for Trey Young, but Mitchell Robinson also massively was disrupting their pick-and-roll flow. Mm-hmm. Four blocks, four steals, and Trey Young never got comfortable the whole night because he knew Mitch was down there. Yep. And that was a factor that we didn't have in that playoff series um, back in 2020, I believe. So, yeah, massive flowers go out to Mitchell Robinson. I feel Ma- like he's one of our most important players. Massive flowers. Six he pl- offensive rebounds. He played so well that Isaiah Hartenstein, who ended who ended up in a little bit of foul trouble to start the game. Um, I don't want to say that like he didn't deserve to play more. He some of the better 
plays in this game from Hart, like happened because of Hartenstein. He had a he had a fast break dunk after the steal that he mm-hmm. that he caught. He dribbled up the court and then you know scored. And, uh, I believe he dunked the ball put to put the Knicks up ten in the first half. Atlanta yeah. needed a timeout, and even at the end of the game. Um, he caught that rebound off of the free throw. His own free throw. His own free throw. Uh, like it, it went, uh, the ball went over all of the Atlanta Hawks players, and he just took a quick step after it hit the rim and caught it, caught the ball and dunked the ball. Isaiah Hornerstein was was definitely key in this game, but not as key as Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. But I wanted to give Isaiah Hartenstein his flowers too for being a backup big who always comes through. You know, now that he's healthy and he's in shape and all of that stuff, he had a little tough stretch last season to start. But he's just as key for this Knicks team being good as Mitchell Robinson is, just so that when Mitch gets that breather, we have somebody who can do those types of things. He's in a contract year, too. Yes. Just that quick. Yes. And he's the best backup center in the NBA, in my opinion. Listen, I got to go through the backup centers, but, yeah, I probably won't disagree with you. Um, not that many good ones. <laughs> tell you that. Uh, if you don't have anything else for the Hawks, I can, I have a little bit more. Talk to me. Okay. Um, Knicks thirty assists on forty three made field goals, seventy percent assist percentage. Uh huh. That's elite. Yep. That would make the Knicks one of the best passing teams in the entire NBA. And this is the second straight game where it's clear that the Knicks are making a more considered effort to find the open man to move the ball. Yes, sometimes they still do stagnate, but so does every team in this league. This team seems to trust each other way more this season than they have in any any season under Tom Thibodeau. Probably has to do with the fact that we're bringing back all of the same players outside of Dante DiVincenzo. Everybody knows where everybody's spots are, knows what they like, but I wanted to bring that up because that was very key. 30 assists, and I hope that this is not the last 30 assist game for the season. I don't think so. I think the way that they've been playing these first two games, that's just an out. I mean, that's 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 a outline of how they're going to be playing moving forward. And you know, so. Thibodeau teams improve throughout the season. Mm-hmm. So to see that we're looking this good and this cohesive early on, I think it's going to be a really fun season to look forward to. Julius Randle is. He's looking a lot more calm and collected, mm-hmm. flowing within within the team offense, and I, I just can't wait to see what kind of season he's about to have. He, it looks like he's ready to play the Draymond role. I mean, I don't think that would be a bad role for him. I, I do think that the Knicks will... I think that the way that this season has gone so far, with R.J. Barrett playing as well as he has, Jalen Brunson regaining that composure that he had from last season... You don't need Julius Randle to necessarily be that all-star player that he was last season. And I think you specifically said that you don't expect him to be that kind of player. You think he's going to be more of a facilitator. So far through through two games, you are uh, proving yourself to be right. I thought Julius Randle would still be that scoring guy. And I thought they would still need him to be that scoring guy that he was last season. But these two games have shown me they don't necessarily need that from him. They don't necessarily need him to be that scorer. He can be that facilitator. He can be that facilitator and still be a dangerous offensive player for the New York Knicks. I still need to see more from him on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Like he definitely is out there sleeping a lot. But Julius Randle can play that role, and it's a nightmare for the other team. Yeah, and RJ Barrett looked like he's ready to take that next step too. He does. I think. Bold prediction before we move on to the upcoming games. Mm-hmm. Actually, should I even say it this early? It's only two games. You already into the hinted at it. You already said it. It's so, two games into the season. Yeah. I want to. I, I want to jump really out the window so bad. Yeah. After ten games, I'm gonna really stand on it. But I, pre- I if RJ Barrett continues to play like this, I feel like we're gonna see the first All Star season for RJ Barrett, and I think. Julius Randle probably isn't going to get that that nod this year, but I do see Jalen Brunson. I mean Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett representing the Knicks on All Star Weekend if he could continue to play like this. Let's give him ten games. Ten games. I'm a stand. Let's give him ten games. Through the first two games, he's already a twenty point per game scorer. The second game, it was super efficient, 
super efficient from three. He scored, shot three for five from the three-point line. Um, defense is looking a lot better than last year. Defense is looking like a lot better. His effective field goal percentage was very good in this game. And, yeah, if he keeps this up, if this is the regular R.J. Barrett game, even if he has one clunker in these first 10 games, I'm, I, I, will, I wouldn't mind tip, you know, dipping my toe into, into that prediction that you're making. Hashtag let's talk about RJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, all right, before we get into the, into the previews, I just wanted to note something real quick. Talk to me. I looked at some, it's only two games. It's only two games, guys. Two games. It's only two games. I was tr- looking at, okay, how are things trending so far after this first week of the NBA season? And the Knicks are top 10 in rebound percentage. They are top 10 in offensive rebound percentage. They're actually tied for sixth with the Phoenix Suns. They are top 10 in assist to turnover. They are tied for fifth with the Hawks and the Washington Wizards. They are top 10 in defensive rebound percentage, tied for fifth. Excuse me, they're not tied. They're solely fifth ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. And assist percentage, they are top 10, number six. They are top 10 in offensive rating, currently ninth. If they can hold on to their position, their top 10 position in those categories for the rest of the season, we are talking about a top four team in the league. Yep. And just wanted to let y'all know it's something that we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on. Again, it's early. After the next game, the Knicks can drop out of the top ten in all of these categories. It's not happening, though. But I do think that some of these categories they will hold on to. Um, and if they can hold on to some of those assist percentage and assist to turnover ratios, if they can stay in the top ten or close to the top ten, yeah, we're looking at a really good season. I think another, I guess, bold prediction, we finished top three last year in offensive rating. Mm-hmm. Is it bold to say? Because I think with the shooting element that we have this year, it's much, much improved for, um, compared to last year. So I do think we could have the best offensive rating in the NBA. Uh, I, think you, I think you are jumping out the window with that. But the only, the only two teams that I feel like can compete with our – Offensive rating is probably the Sacramento Kings and the Boston Celtics. How do you feel about the Phoenix Suns? The Phoenix Suns, I don't like. I I know I know that like they have the best big three in the NBA, <laughs> but how many games are they realistically going to play together? Bradley Bill and Devin Booker are already both injured, and you know Kevin Durant hasn't had a full season where he he's. He hasn't been injured, so it's like, on paper, yeah, the the the, the Phoenix Suns are like the juggernaut to look out for, but mm-hmm. they don't. They, Kevin Durant doesn't take the, the regular season seriously, so I don't think we're gonna have to worry about them in terms of <sighs> offensive rating and all that. Type How do you of stuff. feel about the Denver Nuggets? The Denver Nuggets, they're gonna be top five. Uh, I'm just I'm just throwing some teams out there, yeah, and then there's always going to be a team that comes out the woodwork. But yeah. th- we we try not to make this too long of an episode, so let's keep it pushing. All right, my fault. All right, so let's start with the preview. So tonight, October 28th at seven o'clock at the Smoothie King Center. I just wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta change the name of that. They gotta change arena. the name of the arena. Like, listen, some of you NBA teams, y'all, y'all, y'all not embarrassed. Yeah, <laughs> come to the Smoothie King Center so we can. Win. Come on now, really, at the Smoothie <laughs> King Center, LOL. We spoiled. <laughs> the Knicks Square will Garden. play the New Orleans Pelic- Pelicans. The Pelicans haven't played since Wednesday, and are one and zero. With a victory over the Memphis Grizzlies. The John Morant-less. The John Morant-less, yes. Um, The Pelicans are without Jose Alvarez, Najee Marshall, and Trey Murphy III. But, you know, they still got... Jose Alvarez. You mean Alvarado? Oh, yeah, him. (laughs) Excuse me. Slip up. Uh, Alvarado. And they still have, you know, some player there who may or may not play the whole season. Um, Zion? 
oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might have Zion Williamson. Um, I think that the Knicks need to try and steal this one. And, and I say steal only because it's the second night of a back-to-back. They ended the game at what, 10.30 or 10 o'clock last night. Then they had to fly over to New Orleans and then get their rest. And then they have to get ready for this game. And Zion, when Zion played last year, Pelicans were tied for first place before he went down in the West. So this is not a bad team when Zion is playing. So, yeah, I do consider this like stealing one because the Pelicans can be a very good team, and this is the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, Um, we played New Orleans when they had Zion, and we whipped their ass. So I'm not really concerned. I'm just we have a better road team than our home team com- based on last season and we're even better this year. So Yes, but the Knicks looked tired last night. Would yeah, you say that? Would you did. say that they looked a little gassed towards the end of that game? And then they have to fly to New Orleans and then play another game against a fresh uh New Orleans Pelicans team that has yeah, one of the strongest and fastest and, and uh, you know, athletic freaks in the NBA, you don't think that that's going to play a part in how this game's going to go? Maybe in the first quarter or so. Um, or the fourth quarter, I mean. I, I do think that this if they win this one, they steal this one, And I, but I do think this is an important one. Um, the Knicks need to try and take advantage of any potential uh, holes in the schedule and a Pelicans team that's missing some rotation players, I would consider that a hole, even though it's the second half of a back-to-back. They need to try and get just collect the wins where they can to start off because this is a pretty, I would say it's a pretty difficult schedule to start the season for the Knicks with the back-to-backs, with some of the teams that they're going up against. Still sharp and still, though. Yes. Um, I'm expecting for Julius to somehow outplay Zion in this game and finally arrive this season the way he has not arrived. I'm not saying that he had a bad game against the Hawks, but that was not like Julius is is back. He's going to be an all-star game. That was uh, Julius is doing what we need him to do to win this game game. That's what I want. I I would like to see him do both. Well, I don't feel like we need him to be all-star caliber. I need him to be just locked in because whenever he's not playing like an all-star in recent history, that's when he checks out. So, like, even if he his shot isn't falling, he's not getting a bunch of shots in the first half. I just want him to stay locked in, take the challenge to just be Zion's matchup and stop him from getting comfortable. I mean, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I don't see that happening. He's strong. Yes, he is. I I'm not saying that he is incapable. I'm just don't see it happening. Julius still has defensive lapses, and he still does a lot of pointing fingers when there's a defensive breakdown, and he is part of the reason for that defensive breakdown. I mean, he there was a point. There were two points in in this past game, which we're over that game, but. One time, him and Mitchell Robinson looked like they were going back and forth of over whom failed to make the proper read. And there was another point where Quentin Grimes was telling him, you needed to be over there. And Randall shook his head and said, no, you needed to be over there. And I I have to look at that second play again. But from the other plays that I watched where Julius Randall looked like he was either in a place he wasn't supposed to be or didn't make the concerted effort, I'm willing to go on a limb and say that maybe Julius was wrong. But it's possible. And that's the Julius Randle that we don't need, and that's the Julius Randle who is going to allow Zion to go off in this game, and we need to find a good countermeasure for that. And it should come from him if he's not going to defend well. Yeah. The next game, if you're... Were you done with New Orleans? I am done with New Orleans, yes. So the next game on Halloween, spooky season. It's getting spooky out here. We going against the Cleveland Cavaliers, who we matched up with in the first round, nationally televised game, TNT, and this is going to be in Cleveland. At the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
At the time of this recording, the Cavs listed Darius Garland and Jared Allen as day-to-day while Ricky Rubio's out up until January. So Mm -hmm. this is another one of those moments in the season where we could take advantage if those two guys are out, those three guys are out. And Cavs will be coming off of back-to-back. This will be the second half of the back-to-back. And I think we should be able to take this game. Jalen Brunson has always thrived against the Cavs. They don't have a backcourt tandem that can really match up well with him. Mm -hmm. Max Struess is a good shooter. We saw that in the playoffs, but he wasn't guarding Jalen Brunson well. Jalen Brunson was dropping 30 every game in that Miami series, and he's the best player in that Cleveland series too, so... There's not many, there's not many defenders that can stop Jalen Brunson. Like, he's very hard just because of his shiftiness and his footwork and you know his decision making when he has the ball in his hands. Most for the most part, it's really hard to to defend, um, a defend Jalen Brunson one on one. With that said, I think that. It's not going to be based on Jalen Brunson. I, I do think that it's going to be dependent on some of the bench rotation players, um, kind of how it was in the playoffs for the Knicks and the Cavs. Um, as long as all the top players play well, it's going to it's going to be a battle of attrition. Who is going to tire out first? Who is going to have more bodies to feed into the game? And I, I, I'm confident in saying that it's the New York Knicks, even with the additional players for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was also going to say they still don't have an answer for Mitch. No. So that's um, another factor of this game that's going to heavily influence these two games that we play against Cleveland. It's going to be another game against Cleveland after this one. So damn. I see Mitchell Robinson taking full advantage of this matchup, and he's going to... He's going to show out along with Jalen Brunson. Um, I'm pretty sure Julius Randle wants to get some payback because he ain't really get to go off against Cleveland in that first round he did a little due bit. to that um, ankle injury. They, they injured him again. I mean, he, he was going off when they injured him. So, you know, he did kind of show a little bit. But um, so oh, I'm sorry. What was your take? You think that the Cavs are going to? I mean, last week I was saying that we could end the whole – October undefeated. And you're already wrong. And I'm already wrong (laughs) because of the referees in that Boston game. But I see the Knicks killing Cleveland. Killing them. Okay. At home. That's some bold words. Yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know if I see them killing Cleveland at home. (sighs) This is tough. I... My my guess is that they're going to split both of these games, which is why I've, I've placed a little bit of importance on the Knicks beating the Pelicans and me believing that they're going to beat the Pelicans and get both of these back-to-backs, which is really hard to do. Um, I just don't know how that's going to... how this is going to play out. Are they going to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers at their home? And since you already brought it up, we'll just swing this into the Knicks facing the Cavs at the Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. at, on November 1st. The next day, another back-to-back, two straight back-to-backs, that, which seems kind of unfair. But not really unfair because the Cavs are also coming off of the back-to-back because they played Friday and Saturday also. Um do I think that they are going to lose in Cleveland and win in the Garden? I'm going to say that they are going to win in Cleveland and they're going to lose in the Garden. I think that they'll probably keep Garland out one more day and they'll bring him back for the matchup in the Garden so that they can get that win that they need. And... That is going to be my take. I, I think that the Knicks um, haven't gotten all the way back to normal yet. And unless they show in the next two games that they can get back to normal, 
it can get, they, they've been a little sloppy in both the Boston game and in the Atlanta game. I need a game where they are not looking sloppy, you know, like a little sloppiness is acceptable. Yeah. They've been, there have been stretches where it's like, what the hell? It was the beginning of the Boston Celtics game. It was like, they are not ready. And it was the end of the Atlanta game where it's like, y'all are sloppy and it's, maybe it's because y'all tired and y'all are not back into regular season form. It's hard for me to say that they're going to go three straight. It's early in the season. I feel like all teams have had those little sloppy runs. 100%. Just because rust and getting their feet under them and getting ready for the season. But I I see both of these games being in our favor. I do see the, the game at the Garden being a lot closer than the game in Cleveland because... You know how it goes. Mm. All the role players come to MSG, turn into prime Michael Jordan and Steph Curry, and it's going to be somebody that we least expect to go off from Cleveland. And um, I still see us leaving that game with a victory just because this team is just tough. Tough, defensive-minded team. Even if this it's a close game and they're down with three minutes to go, you they, they're going to fight. They never give up. They never have any quit. And I feel like that's going to result in our favor in this in this matchup because I don't see the same resilience on the Cleveland roster. They're going to rely on Donovan Mitchell a lot. I've, I, something that I wanted to say a little earlier. Um, you said that they don't have an answer for Mitch. They could have an answer for Mitch if they learned from that playoffs and realized that they needed to get tougher. They did some soul searching. They got two talented bigs on that team. And if one or both of them decide, nah, that's not going to happen to me again, you have to consider that as an option. Like you have to consider that maybe one of Jared Allen or Mobley is going to show up and they're going to say, I'm not going to, you're not going to bully me this time because, you know, steel sharpened steel. So you have to take that, you know, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but you kind of have to, you can't count that out. You can't dismiss that. Um, I also think that Julius Randle is going to have to be the guy that he was. Um, if he doesn't do it against the Pelicans, he's going to have to do it in one of these games against the Cavs. I think his, I think when he was bullying dudes in the playoffs, mm -hmm. in, uh, in that first round against the Cavs, the Knicks were clearly the better team. And he was pushing them out of the, out of the free throw lane and just bullying them and just saying, "Y'all, y'all not strong. Y'all don't got no muscle." Like when he was doing that, and then when he did what he what he did in the in the in Game Five when before he got injured. Mm -hmm. If we get that Julius, yeah, we're gonna take one or both. But we haven't seen that Julius so far this season. So let's move on. We got one more game. I just want to say. Evan Mobley don't look like he gained a lot of weight, so <laughs> so but so much <laughs> to stop Mitch. But go ahead, let's go to the next game. <clears throat> nah, that's you, sir. That's all you. Let's get to that Bucks Knicks matchup. Uh, we're gonna be in Milwaukee for that one, November third. Mm -hmm. First matchup against Damian Lillard and the new look Bucks. Um, Giannis signed a three year extension, so it doesn't look like he's gonna be on the market for us to trade for anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So they're healthy. The Bucks are undefeated at the time of this recording. This may be our first loss of the season. Uh, you mean? I mean, second, second, loss. second loss of the season. <laughs> <before>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you thought you were still, uh, oh, we're going to be undefeated. Nah, this is yeah. the first loss that you see in this upcoming week, you mean. Right, right, right. We should be undefeated, though. We should Realistically be. Realistically speaking. Yeah. I think um, it's going to be hard to match up with Damian Lillard and Giannis together. That's going to be a, a duo that the whole NBA is going to have to figure out. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough game. I, I I don't really have much to say about it. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that matchup. Would it change your opinion if it was in... Madison Square Garden, no. or do you no? You it think either worse. way? Oh, you think it'll be worse? Yeah. You think we definitely losing if it was in the Garden? Yeah, for sure. <sighs> At least to start the season, once we see some weaknesses out of that lineup, because I know they they're not gonna have the best perimeter defense, but it ain't like we got the 
most outstanding defense to stop Damian Lillard from dropping 40, so. No. Quentin Grimes is going to have his hands full that night. I mean, yes, you are you are 100% correct. Yeah. Um, I do think that the fact that we have um, R.J. Barrett playing very well. Yeah. That could be a point in our favor because who's going to stop RJ? Really, are they going to put, are, you know, are they going to put Giannis on him? Because if they put Giannis on him, then you got to think about okay, then who's going to be on Julius? Um, They're probably going to put Middleton, Middleton on RJ. Is Middleton all the way back healthy? And that's the problem with you know early season predictions. Yeah. The Bucks have only played one regular season game so far at the time of this recording. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe after they play the Hawks tomorrow, then they're gonna play the Heat, then they're gonna play the Raptors. We'll have a, a better way to decipher how the Knicks are gonna win. But with one game, you don't really have much to really go go on. So, I one more thing I wanted to say. Go ahead. Uh, Mitch kind of struggles with stretch fives, and Brook Lopez is gonna have him out of that paint for sure. Not struggles, but he doesn't have the same defensive impact when he has to guard someone that's in the perimeter. And Brooke Lopez has had his number a few times, I felt like. My thing with Mitch is that I think that he doesn't do enough tape study on who he's playing against, yeah. unless it's somebody that is clearly like a star. Yeah. Right? Um, I think that was the problem with Chris Stapps. He was like, oh, I don't think Chris Stapps can just drive to the rim like that. And he was wrong. Um, and he's like, oh, maybe he'll hit this, maybe he won't. He was wrong. I think if Mitch has a clear understanding of who he plays against, he can be that perimeter guy. Because remember, he used to be a, a very good perimeter defender as a big back when he first started. Um, it's just that his role now is to defend the rim, and he's prioritizing that. And he he is more focused on what he's supposed to do on the court as opposed to who he is guarding. And he needs to do both. Um, and he also may be guarding Giannis instead of Brooke. I don't think he'll guard Giannis. I do think he'll stay on Brooke. Um, and I don't I don't think that it's going to be as big of a problem because he does look a little faster this year. I think that Chris Stapps, he just looked unprepared for Chris Stapps. Right. I don't think he'll be unprepared for Brooke. But I was wrong before. I thought Mitch was going to have a double-double against the Celtics, and he ain't come close. So... With that said, you, you're predicting a loss, yep. the first loss of, of the games that we are going to be discussing in this episode. Um, I'm going to say that the Knicks are going to go into the Pfizer Forum and they're going to come out. <laughs> they're going to leave with a win. <laughs> At the COVID vaccine? Yeah, I, I probably shouldn't talk so much because <laughs> if we end up losing all these games, it's going to look really, really yeah. bad, me uh, calling out all of these arenas. But I think that's going to be something I do all season, so deal with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're going to leave the Pfizer Forum with a victory, and that just goes to... Sh I think that that this point in the, the season, I think this is when the Knicks are going to start getting their bearings. And showing teams who they are the way that they did later in the season last year. It's going to be another nationally televised game too, ESPN. The Knicks, Knicks usually do well on nationally televised games. Sure. So that even more so um, goes to how I feel. Next topic of the week. So we didn't really co go over it last week, so we'll quickly cover it. No pun intended. Uh, the Emmanuel Quickly extension... The outcome. So, this past was it Monday? I believe so. It, this past Monday at six o'clock, that was the deadline for Emmanuel Quickly to be extended. His rookie contract to have his rookie contract extended. I'll start that over. This past Monday was the deadline for Emmanuel Quickly to have his rookie contract extended with the New York Knicks, mm -hmm. and we were at, reached six o'clock. And we got no extension. None. <laughs> uh, so what is the failure to extend quickly? What does that mean to you, French? How does that make you feel? That he's betting on himself. Mm -hmm. um, the, the sides just apparently weren't close on a contract. Um, it seemed like the Knicks were probably looking to offer him 80 mil for four years. 
and maybe he's looking for more of a Jalen Bron- Brunson kind of contract, mm-hmm. over 100 mil, and I don't know many teams that are willing to give uh, both point guards on their roster in their rotation a $100 million contract. But I don't know. Quickly is quite possibly the best backup point guard in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be me being biased, but I don't see many other backup point guards in the NBA who brings the defensive impact as well as the scoring potential that he has on a nightly basis. Um, this team is not the same without Emmanuel quickly. I feel like he definitely fits well within our identity. He greatly has a he has a great impact on our outcomes of every game that we play. Long story less long. This team was a better team anytime Emmanuel quickly was on the court. Even any, if he's not shooting well. Any lineup, any rotation, any anytime quickly was on the court, that rotation, that lineup statistically played better when quickly was on the court. He was a runner up for the sixth man of the year, and many, many of us Knicks fans believe that he was wrongly um left out and should have been the sixth man of the year last season. And when you put all of these things together, and if you believe that he is a starter in this league, you can't blame quickly for one in a hundred million dollar contract. Should the Knicks be worried about the failure to extend, or should we as fans be worried? Well, who was the last restricted free agent to really get offered like a max contract? That's what it would take for him to. Right, but just because, coached, I just, feel like. just because, um, it's not common doesn't mean it's not something you should worry about. Well, forget common. What mm-hmm. teams in the NBA desperately need a, a starting point guard right now? And we don't, we don't have enough time to <laughs> to kind of look through. It's look, not okay, many. all it's right. Not many. So it's who? Possibly who? Toronto, because they have Dennis Schroeder, but. Or maybe Orlando, but they got like four or five point guards, but none of them are really legit point guards. Like Markel Fultz is nice. Cole mm-hmm. Anthony is pretty good. But do these teams even have the cap space? Like when you look at the teams that have cap space this next summer, even though it doesn't really say anything right now, just based off like trades could be happening at the deadline that could clear up cap space. But I don't really see no teams clearing cap space for Emmanuel quickly unless he has like, an outstanding season. And even if he does have an outstanding season, I don't see the Knicks having a problem with paying him. Um, It's also the fact that we're going to have to pay Isaiah Hartenstein this summer too. So maybe they're just trying to make sure they see what he does in the playoffs before we make a commitment like that to paying him a a $100 million contract. But... So... You brought up a very interesting team, the Toronto Raptors. And the Toronto Raptors are actually in a pretty interesting situation. They um, are possibly going to lose OJ Ananobi. They could possibly lose Pascal Siakam. That's over $50 million right there that they could lose. And I think that would open up enough cap space for them to, let's see, they still have Jakob Pertl. They still have Dennis Schroeder. They, that would be the last year of his contract. They could open up enough cap space to max out Emmanuel quickly and give a big F you to the Knicks for suing them this season. <laughs> so I, that's not something that I would think is out of the, is out of the question for them to just be like, okay, y'all want to do this to us? Uh, watch this. Yeah, you want Emmanuel quickly to come back? Yeah, he, maybe he he he's not. Maybe he just has the same kind of season he had last year. Which, if he has the same kind of season that he had last year, the Knicks are not going to want to max him out. And that is the problem I had with this extension process: is that now all of a sudden you don't have control over the situation. Yes, you could possibly trade quickly, but. If he, you have to kind of hope that he plays to max contract level at this point. You have to hope that he either plays to max contract level or that he doesn't play well. If he plays somewhere in the middle 
and somebody pays him more mm -hmm. than what you're willing to pay him, and you don't get a trade out, which I don't think the Knicks are going to trade Emmanuel quickly midseason. I just don't see it because I don't see any star player trying to ask out of their team in the middle of the season. So we're talking about Manuel quickly making it to the end of the season, making it to a restrictive free agency, probably playing the same way that he's played last year, maybe with a, a couple of improvements, but definitely not an all-star caliber player. If somebody's going to pay him above what the Knicks are willing to pay, now you're talking about, okay, now we have to either overpay Emmanuel quickly or we have to lose him in free agency. And neither one of those things are positives for the New York Knicks. Well, we and those, that, to me, that's the most likely scenario that comes at the end of this. It really just depends on to what kind of playoffs he has. If he has a bad playoffs, he's not going to get overpaid. And he's not going to really have the room to negotiate a salary like that. Because he hasn't had a good playoffs since being in the NBA. He maybe had a, a good playoff game against Atlanta. But... He would have to... He has to show up. He would have to show to up. He, he would have to play not just good, but as good as we know he can play in any game. Yep. And if he does not do that in the playoffs consistently, would he get overpaid? I think he could. I think he could. I think he's shown in the regular season. I think there's plenty of teams who, who are looking for regular season point guards to start who are not really considering the playoffs, who are like, I'll pay that guy 140 mil. Like and and that is probably a tad bit over what the Knicks are willing to pay. They might be willing to pay if somebody's willing to pay him 130, 135. Yeah, 140 might be a bit too much for the Knicks, especially considering some of the cap ramifications for them to do it to bring him back, in hopes that maybe they can trade somebody for a star player. It's just there's a lot of ways that this could go right for the Knicks, but not many that I'm seeing are like I think the most likely scenarios are. Bad ones for the Knicks. So, French, really quickly, last week you said a 15-game winning streak is coming for the Knicks. Yep. Where in the season do you think this is going to happen? There's two points in the season mm -hmm. that I think it's possible. And if you know anything about Knicks basketball, you know within the last several seasons, we've had nine-game winning streaks twice. Last season, we've had an eight-game winning streak and a nine-game winning streak. In the We Here season, the Big 15 season, we had a nice little nine-game winning streak. Mm -hmm. And we could just pretend like the Kemba Walker season just never happened. But even that season, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure we went on a nice little winning streak. So This is not really quickly. <sighs> real quick. <laughs> I see December 29th to mm -hmm. January 23rd being the first break in the season where it's possible for us to get this 15-game winning streak. And the reason why I'm saying it's so early in the season is because normally Thibodeau teams ramp up around March and get some chemistry going. But because we have the same roster from last year with only one addition to the lineup in DiVincenzo, I think we can make a good, nice little run early in the season while other teams are still trying to get their bearings. And during this stretch, we're not facing many teams that are, like, top five talent-wise. Like, uh, on the 29th, we'd be facing off against... The Magic. The Magic, the, the, following the, Indiana, Minnesota, mm -hmm. Chicago, Philadelphia. Who knows what they're going to even look like around this time of the season. Harden's probably going to be gone. And Bede's probably, who knows, who knows? You got Washington. Washington, mm -hmm. Portland, mm -hmm. Dallas, mm -hmm. Memphis, Orlando again, Houston, Washington, Toronto, and then Brooklyn. And then the game after this is Denver, which is where I see they, they, they have a chance to lose. Even though we swept them last year, okay. defending champs, you got to give them that respect. I, I do think that's a, that's a decent stretch. I can see them um, winning the majority of those games and all they need is one of those games to not go right. I mean, to go right for them. The ones that I'm like, oh, that, that's a little, that could go either way. If it goes in their way. Yeah. You could be looking at a 15 game winning streak. Which teams? Um, I think, I do think that Philly, it really depends on if Embiid is going to be playing and if he's healthy this season. Um, that's really the main one. I, I saw Philly in this schedule. I was like, ugh. Because something that 
has kept popping up after I've kind of dismissed Philly as a top four team this season is that as long as Joel Embiid is healthy, the Philadelphia 76ers have been a 50-win team. So That's not a good measure to look at it, though, because they've always had Ben Simmons or James Harden. Even when, well, yeah, well, they'll have somebody. Maxi. They'll have somebody. They'll have somebody. And even when Ben Simmons was playing, like, it's been a while since Ben Simmons has been like a bona fide All Star. Yeah. So, but what team was he on when he was a bona fide All Star? He was in Philly. That's but, what I'm saying. But after that, he was on Philly too. But anyway, what's the other what's the other part of the schedule? I see, um, like the beginning of February, maybe end of January. Um, let's see. What, what so game it's, to start it's with? right after like where I just said where we face Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, Possibly Miami. I see that as a a possible gimme. But even it's it's tough to call against Miami, even though they lost their starting backcourt. We played them very well in the regular season yeah. last year, so I would. I, it's not egregious to say that we could we could beat them, and and count that as a W. And this one is a little more. It's a, it's better competition during this stretch. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's the 29th, January 29th. Uh, and let's see. Just stop me where you where you think we would lose, mm-hmm. Charlotte. Utah, and I think Utah's going to be tough. Indiana, mm-hmm. that's going to be a nice little matchup. C.O.B. Toppin. Mm-hmm. Uh, L.A., Lakers, mm-hmm. Memphis, Dallas, Indiana again. In Houston, in Orlando, Philly, Boston. That's going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. Detroit, New Orleans, Golden State. That's going to be another tough one. Mm-hmm. Cleveland. Cleveland's going to be a tough one. Philly is another tough one. Um, either way, this is a tougher stretch. I like yeah. the first stretch better than that stretch. But I I do think that you've got – we'll, we'll come back to this later and we'll see how – <laughs> see if you've come close to the 15-game winning streak. Yeah, because at the end of the season, we played a lot of West teams, Sacramento, Golden State. Yeah. yeah. So it's tougher. Um. All right. That was fun. Yep. All right, y'all. Uh, at this point, we will we'll bid you adieu, as my my brother French says. Um, please. And we'd also like to thank you yes. for listening to yes. the Knicks Take Podcast. <laughs> um, as you guys can see, those of you watching on YouTube, merch is starting to we're starting to get it get it together. You see French's hat. You see my sweater. Uh, tell us how you feel about it. Tell us if you like it. Tell us if you want it, and we'll immediately. Fire up that store. Well, yeah, we'll try to fire up that star. If it's that star, fire up the store, uh, get that merchandise out there to you. And we're um, also going to be bringing merch to the games. So if you see us at the games, just check it out. We're going to have some bags on us, most likely. So right. we're going to have some stuff for you. All right. Thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Jordan. I want to thank Caesar. <laughs> we, they're the production. Uh, team behind this we haven't done it before and i was like we should probably just thank the guys who are making us uh look good and sound good so um thank you guys thank you for the hudson valley podcasting team thank you guys for listening and we'll see catch you next time peace peace